I am enjoying so much our greater series, and uh, I'm enjoying what I'm hearing from everyone. I am getting emails and text messages and uh, following people on Instagram and just seeing what's going on with the life groups and also with the presence of God in church. And uh, just campus after campus after campus saying, we are seeing a greater presence of God happening in our services. We are seeing a greater presence of God in our prayer times at the end of service. We're, we're seeing a greater presence of God in our life groups. And uh, again, I have just loved all the reports from life groups that we've collectively done this as one life group series and people are, are meeting new friends and, and, and discussing how the presence of God can be more real, how they can uh, go deeper, how God can flow through them, the gifts uh, of the Spirit and all the things that are going on. I love uh, one couple sent us a text. They're friends of ours. And they said, we did a, a life group with uh, people that were total strangers. And they said, we went to the life group. We're thinking, oh, no, we don't know anybody. And, uh, you know, sometimes that can be intimidating. You know, that can be intimidating to go to somebody's home. You don't know them. And then you think, we don't know anybody. Wonder what will happen. And they said at the end of the group, they were praying for needs. They were uh, meeting each other. And they were building new friendships. And now they're saying, we can't even imagine not doing life knowing these people. We can't even imagine that, the, the good that has come from the life group. And uh, I thank God for that. And if you have not been a part of that, as soon as we're done with this series, please, please, please get in a life group. God is doing something special there. It's not going to end with the greater groups. It'll continue with life groups. And I absolutely love what we're seeing in this series. Um, when we started it, it was five weeks on the greater presence of God. And I, you know, just as you're thinking about sermons, I'm thinking like, are we gonna be able to have enough content for five weeks? And, and, and how am I gonna pace this? And now that we're in week four, um, I'm thinking I wish it was a 10-week series. Um, we're in week four and I have so much and I felt that God told me to go backwards before we go forward. So we're actually gonna look back at something. And um, I... I I wish I could do bonus sermons. And for those of you that are not familiar, uh, a bonus sermon is when I get done preaching at one service and then go to the next service, preach a totally different sermon and hope that you watch it on video. But we can tell by how many people watch it and then we count the views. And I know you don't watch them all, so I've abandoned bonus sermons. So this will, this will just be a two-hour sermon. Buckle up. All right, let's go. There's already parking problems at Minatrista with that statement. And uh, man, we should have built your parking lot bigger. God's doing amazing things. But I'm going to try to wrap this uh, into the allotted time and really focus on the presence of God and, and give us again a glimpse of an Old Testament example, an Old Testament example of God pouring out his presence and what represents his presence and how it relates to us now as followers of Jesus Christ. We, we desire a greater presence of God. We desire his manifest presence to be there, to be in a special way in us, to be poured out on us and to change us to be more like him. I wish that people all around us could feel the manifest presence of God. I wish that when we left our services and went out to eat to whatever restaurant you may go to, that people could tell that you were with God. I wish that when you were doing your um, 
devotion time, whether it's in a coffee shop or in your cubicle or at home, wherever you go, that you'd leave from there and people would feel the presence of God so strong. I wish it would be manifest on you that people around you could feel it even stronger. That would be my prayer and my desire. And I hope that in our church, we are feeling it more. And that as we leave here, um, it, it's felt in a stronger way. I'm reminded of a, of a movie that I saw years ago. That I believe it was called The Preacher's Wife. Denzel Washington uh, played an angel. And every time he shook someone's hand, there was like a little harp that would go off in the background and people would be like, wow, what a handshake. They would feel like the manifest presence of God is what they were trying to signify. And I watched that movie and I thought, I would love to have that. I would love to not have it where they'd say, that was a firm grip handshake. I'd love for them to say, wow, I, I, I shook that person's hand and I felt the presence of God in a greater way. Now, I want the greater presence of God, and I, I believe that God wants to increase his presence. I believe it's a God thing that's going on all around the world. And I, I believe that God is saying to us, I'm pouring out my presence on you. I'm pouring out my spirit on you. I'm pouring this out on you so that you can carry the presence of heaven everywhere you go. We're not angels like the Denzel was in that movie, but you are carrying the presence of God. And he's like, I'm pouring out my spirit on you. I'm helping you to carry my manifest presence, a touch of heaven everywhere you go. And he's using you and I to carry his presence. And as we look at this Old Testament example, we're gonna realize that God is using people to carry his presence. If you have your Bibles, go to 2 Samuel 6, and I'll get there eventually. <laughs> Sorry, like I'll get there. Remember, it's a two-hour sermon and uh, I'll get there eventually. I want to put the context here and, and I want to tell you this, sermons like this are very hard for me to do, um, not because I can't teach it, but because I need more time than is allotted. Because here's what happens in a growing church like ours, we have a lot of people that don't know all the stories. They don't know the backstory. I may say something and you're thinking, I have no clue what you just referenced there. Who's David? What's the ark? What's going on? And so it's hard for me because I always want to backfill the story because I understand that we pray for new people to come here. We pray for people far away from God to come and be a part of our church and people that don't understand it all to be a part of it. And so uh, I, I, when I cover a lot of ground like this, it's always hard for me. So bear with me as I do this. But God chose in the Old Testament before Jesus, God told, chose in the Old Testament a group of people to be a special people, the Jewish people, the Israelites, and he said, through you, I'm going to reach the nations. I'm going to bring uh, the Messiah. Jesus is going to come through you. And I want you to be my chosen people. And as my chosen people, I'm going to pour out my presence on a few people. I'm going to pour out my presence on a few people that are in your kingdom. I'm going to pour out my presence on the king. I'm going to pour out my presence on the prophets. I'm going to pour out my presence on the priest. And those three groups, the prophet, priest, and king, they will experience my presence, but the rest of the people won't experience my presence until in the New Testament, until it's poured out in Pentecost. Until then, then people will experience my presence in a greater way. But now just a few people will experience my presence. And so God chose to just pour out his presence on just these three groups of people. And he also chose in the Old Testament times to have something represent his presence. And that, that representation of his presence was called the Ark of the Covenant. 
Now again, I'm backfilling the story. Some of you probably went, the ark. You mean like Noah's ark. Nothing like Noah's ark, all right? Nothing like that. More like Indiana Jones if you saw that movie, all right? All right, now I realize I dated myself there because I talked to some of our interns and they're like, what Indiana Jones? All right, so I'm older, all right. They didn't know all the movies, all right. But the Ark of the Covenant was actually a gold uh, fixture that was ornate and it had cherubim, it was, it was gorgeous, it was beautiful and it had special places where wood rods would be put through these holes and it would be carried by the priest. Now that's important to remember as we get into this story. This, this was symbolic of God's presence. It was beautiful, and it was kept in the temple, and, and then in the, in the tabernacle in the temple, it was kept in this place called the Holy of Holies. You see, I'm trying to explain a lot here. And in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant, and it was symbolic of God's presence, okay? Now, this Ark of the Covenant was symbolic of his presence, and the Israelites, they knew this. They knew that it was powerful and that God's presence was powerful. And so several times when they would go into battle, they would carry the Ark of the Covenant symbolizing God's presence, and they would basically be saying, God is fighting on our side. God is fighting on our side, and the presence of God would enter into the battle and win the battle for them, okay? So we have one of these scenarios in 1 Samuel chapter 4 where the Israelites are fighting a battle and they're losing the battle and they say, you know what we need? We need the Ark of the Covenant. Go get the old, the gold Ark of the Covenant from the Holy of Holies, have the priests carried out here, bring it into the battle so we can beat the Philistines because we're losing the battle, and so it seems like a good plan. And so they go and get the Ark of the Covenant and the priests start to carry this. And let me stop for just a moment. There were two priests that were part of this process. Their names were Hophni and Phinehas. Do not name your children those names because they're weird and because they were bad people, all right? <laughs> Hophni and Phinehas were priests and here's what we're going on. Hophni and Phinehas were corrupt. They were stealing from the things of God. They were disobeying the things that God told them to do. They were living wrong. They were committing adultery. And this was horrible for a priest to do. And so they think that by carrying the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, they're just going to win the battle. But something was going on and God was like, I will not be mocked. You will not live so unholy. You will not live in this way and think that I'm like a genie and I just show up and grant your wishes. There's something about holiness and the presence of God. We'll talk about this in our final week. There's something about holiness and the presence of God that helps to increase the presence of God and that we're supposed to pursue holiness. So they, they bring the Ark of the Covenant. Hophni and Phinehas are making a mockery of God and, and his holiness and his standards. And remember, they're supposed to be taking care of things. They're supposed to be treating the presence of God like nuclear energy, like it's dangerous to be handling the presence of God and they're treating it very flippantly. And so they enter into battle and they don't win the battle. They do not win the battle. You can read it in 1 Samuel, you can see this, that they do not win the battle. And in 1 Samuel chapter 4, 5, and 6, all of a sudden what happens, the Philistines capture the Ark of the Covenant. 
You can imagine the sadness of what's going on. The Ark of the Covenant has been captured by the enemy, and the enemy is rejoicing. We have now captured the presence of God. And so they bring the Ark of the Covenant, and they bring it into their temple. And the Bible tells us that they put it into the temple of Dagon. And in the temple of Dagon, they have it like a trophy for their false god. And they go to bed that night celebrating they have the Ark of the Covenant. Now track with me. The Bible tells us that they wake up in the morning and their false god, they have an idol of him, is on his face in his temple. This has never happened before. And they're wondering, what happened to Dagon? So they pick him back up and they're looking at the Ark of the Covenant like, maybe there's something going on here. But they don't know, but they celebrate that day that they have the Ark of the Covenant, go to bed that night, they wake up the next morning. The Bible tells us Dagon is back on his face again. But God is up the ante. He broke off his arms and his face. <laughs> so Dagon is now there, no arms, no face. And it's like, okay, the Philistines are like, okay, this is not good. And they all of a sudden, the Bible also tells us they started to notice that they had a rash. All the people started to have a rash on them. And one translation says that they all started to break out in hemorrhoids. So Dagon's on his face, head broken off, arms broken off, and they have hemorrhoids. And they're thinking like, I don't think you're supposed to mess with the presence of God. And so they get this plan. They think, all right, if maybe it's the ark that's doing this to Dagon, maybe these hemorrhoids, this rash is from God's presence being here. And we're not supposed to have God's presence. There's something serious about this. And so let's send it back to them. And let's see if it's God. So they get a, a ox cart and they take two oxen that have just had babies. And so they said, these two oxen will never leave if it's not a God thing. They would never leave their babies. And so let's send them. Their calves are here. Let's see if they leave. And sure enough, these two oxen head back to the Israelites, leaving their calves. And the Philistines are like, it's a God thing. God was knocking down Dagon and God was giving us hemorrhoids. Okay, so... Yeah, can you imagine that? Like, please, God, take away my hemorrhoids. That's a prayer you never want to pray. Uh, so the Bible says, again, I'm filling in this story. And some of you are like, this is real? It's in there. It's in there. The Bible says that it got all the way to Abinadab's house. The Bible says that the oxen got to Abinadab's house and stopped. And they took the Ark of the Covenant up and parked it at Abinadab's house. Now it's there for years. And he's taking care of it, his household. You know what's happening? God's happy that he's taking care of it. And there's a blessing that's resting there. But it was never meant to be there. It was meant to be in Jerusalem, in the Holy of Holies. That's where it was meant to be. And so King David realizes, wait a minute. The presence of God was not meant to be with the Philistines. The presence of God was not meant to be at Abinadab's house. The presence of God was meant to be in the Holy of Holies. We need to bring the presence of God back where it belongs and where God wants it to be. And so he devises a plan to get it back. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, we eventually got there, verse 3. It says, And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark, Uzzah and the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand of the, to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen stumbled. 
And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now, I want to stop for just a moment. I want to explain this to you because this is representing the presence of God. This is representing his manifest presence, and David's desire is for it to get back to its rightful place. But in the process, he's using the wrong method to get the presence of God back. God never wanted to be put on an ox cart. God never wanted to be hauled around by oxen. And even though the Philistines did it to send it back, that's not the way that he said. He clearly told his people, he said, the priests will carry my presence on their shoulders. It was very clear that God was saying, I will not rest on things you make. I will rest on people that will carry my presence. So they were just trying to say, well, we made a nice cart, a new cart, and it's a good cart, and you could rest on that cart. And God says, I don't want to rest on a cart. I want to rest on people, and you are messing with the illustration. How many know that the Old Testament has illustrations and things that point us to Jesus and point us to things that are going to happen? And God's like, my presence is going to rest on people, not on places, not on things. So don't put me on a thing, get it right. And so David realizes this. He realizes, wait a minute. The Levites are to carry the presence of God. The priests are to carry the presence of God. And he says in 1 Chronicles 15, 2, then David said that no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God, for the Lord had chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister to him forever. David says the priests are to do this forever. They're to carry the presence of God forever. They need to do it. Now, I just want to let you know this. Again, it it was a symbol of what was coming. The reason you and I can carry the presence of God today, it says the Levites, the priest had to carry the presence of God forever. The priests still carry the presence of God because you are a priest. You don't believe that. Maybe one of our other campuses, amen that. You are a priest. When you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, by the grace of God, the Bible says you are now a priest before him. You are a a chosen priest. As a matter of fact, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. Let me read this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. When you receive grace and mercy and become a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible says you are a priest. You are part of the priesthood. You can now carry the anointing and presence of God because of the grace of God. It's a gift. It's a gift that we can now carry the presence of God everywhere we go. And that's why he's like, I will not be put on carts. I will not be put in a building. 
I'm going to be put in people, on people, flow through people. And in the New Testament, all of us have the opportunity to carry the presence of God. It's not just prophet, priest, and king. It's all followers of Jesus Christ. Incidentally, we love our buildings around River Valley. We love that we have buildings, but thank God he doesn't pour out his presence on a building. A building is nothing more than something that keeps out the bad weather, gives us a place to meet, and uh, it's nothing more than a tool for us to be the church, okay? That's all it is. We are the church. We are the carriers of the presence of God. It doesn't rest on this platform, anywhere. You may kneel at church. It's not in a building, on a building. It's in his people, on his people, and flowing through his people. But you are a chosen generation. And just how many remember that song from years ago? You're going to date yourself. And how many? You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. How many? Just no clue, right? Seven people at Apple Valley. That was it. You all are charismatics. All right. But when I was growing up, we sang that. And now it clicks to me. I am part of that promise. You are part of that promise. You can carry the presence of God everywhere you go because God's presence rests on people. People are the carrier of his presence. You are called to be a carrier of his presence today and to take it and to go into all the world and bring a touch of heaven wherever you go. Now, let me go back to 2 Samuel 6 because the presence of God does something. And uh, as this is going on, uh, they, David realizes this is how it's supposed to happen. This is how it's supposed to happen. They, and he, they start carrying the presence of God. And um, David is carrying, the, they're carrying the presence of God. The priests are. And David grabs this and he says, if the priest can carry the presence of God, I want in on this. And David has a glimpse of God's outpouring and his grace that even we struggle to understand. He's like, wait a minute, you're gonna let people carry your presence. And if the priests get to carry your presence, I wanna carry your presence. I wanna be part of this. And so David sets aside his kingly robes and puts on the linen robe of the priest. And he starts to do this and he starts to dance before the Lord. He starts to dance with all of his might saying, God, it's so great that we get to carry your presence. It's so great. He gets a glimpse of what's going to happen through you and me and starts doing it himself. And he is dancing and he is praising and he's getting excited and he doesn't have his kingly robes on anymore. He has like the priest's long underwear on and that's all he's wearing. And his wife sees him and she's like, I can't believe you're doing this. I can't believe you're dancing like this before the Lord. I can't believe that you're jumping around and, and getting all excited. And he's like, you don't understand. I'm carrying the presence of God. This is an amazing thing that the presence of God is coming back to its rightful place. We ought to celebrate. And he's got a glimpse of God pouring out his spirit on everyone. And he's like, if you thought that I was dancing before, you wait until you see me dance now that you brought it to my attention. He says, if you thought I was dancing undignified before, I'm going to dance even more undignified, and I'm going to go all charismatic Pentecostal on you. All right. <laughs> now, there's something that David grasps when the presence of God is in its rightful place. When the presence of God is on your life, you ought to be excited about it. We ought to have something to praise God about. We ought to have something to be excited about. And David was excited because the presence of God was poured out on his life and poured out on his people and put in its rightful place. And he was getting a glimpse of what was going on in us. And we ought to be excited that we get to carry the presence of God. 
We ought to be able to come into worship and, and, and be excited about what's going on. We ought to be able to leave the, the, the gathering together of people and be excited to bring the presence of God. And here's the thing. David wanted to get it back to its rightful place in the Holy of Holies. God's like, I want to get it in its rightful place in and on you and working through you. I want to pour out my spirit like Joel says. I want to pour out my spirit like the day of Pentecost and have the presence of the Holy Spirit in and on and working through you and the rightful place is wherever you go. I don't think you grab that. The rightful place is wherever you go. As excited as David was that he got the presence of God in the rightful place in the holy of holies, we ought to be more excited that God gets his presence to the rightful place on you, in you, through you, and everywhere you go. When you flow in the gifts of the Spirit, do you know you are bringing a touch of heaven, the presence of God, the manifest presence of God to wherever you are, your cubicle, your school, your workplace, your neighborhood, and we ought to be excited that the presence of God is getting to the spot where it needs to be. Now, there are people that aren't excited about the presence of God, like Michael, his wife. She was not excited about it. And the Bible says she wasn't excited about it. She wasn't in on it. She wanted to be David to be neat and tidy and orderly. And I'll tell you this, if you despise the presence of God, if you despise the work of the Holy Spirit, just like Michael, she was barren. I believe a church that despises the work of the Holy Spirit will be barren. I believe it'll be barren. If you despise the work of the Holy Spirit, you don't like to honor the Holy Spirit. You don't like that God's presence goes with us as we go out from here. If you want things neat and tidy and in order and you're just like too controlling, I'll tell you what, barrenness comes along. I'm amazed at the amount of Christians that love a church that runs on time, has great teaching, but they don't care about the presence of God. They don't care about it. As long as it starts on time, ends on time, and they got a little head knowledge, they're good to go, and they don't even think about the presence of God taking it with them. We can't do that. We got to value that the presence of God is going to its rightful place out into the community. God wants you to bring the presence of God everywhere you go and to look for opportunities for the presence of God to manifest everywhere you go. Now, it's interesting. We are, we are blessed to be a blessing, and the last thing I'll read about this in 2 Samuel 16 after David realizes the presence of God is in the rightful place, we get to carry the presence of God. It's so good. We've done it right. God rests on people, not on things. And he's so excited. Here's what happens to David. In verse 18, it says, And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts, and he distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. David realized when the presence of God is poured out and in its right place, you're blessed to be a blessing. We need to realize that. We need to realize a couple things from this lesson today. God's presence rests on people, not on places. And his presence belongs in its rightful place out there amongst the people. And you are blessed with his presence to be a blessing, to give, to bless, to bring... You can have the gifts of the Spirit flowing through you, not so you just sit there and hold it in, but so you have them flowing through you all, all day long and to other people and blessed to be a blessing. You are giving away a slice of heaven to the people around you. When you pray over a meal, it ought to be heartfelt. A slice of heaven should show up. It should never be rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, yay God, you know? It should be, God, we pray. The other day I was praying for one of our pastors, he shared a need with me, 
and we were praying together at a, at a, a restaurant, I started, I said, let me pray for you. We started praying. The presence of God showed up at that table. I'm just telling you, the presence of God showed up at the table. I started to cry, and, and I'm always just a little self-conscious crying in public at a restaurant with another man, you know, and I just kind of, <laughs> a little bit, just kind of, just letting you know. I wiped away the tears as subtle as I could, you know. But I'm telling you what, the presence of God showed up, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. I wouldn't trade it for anything. The manifest presence of God wants to show up at your table, in your workplace, in your cubicle, in your school, and it belongs in its rightful place with you going everywhere as a priesthood carrying his presence. Let's be generous. Let's give it away. Let's not hold our blessings to just our services when we get together. Let's take the blessings we have and bring the presence of God everywhere we go. Everywhere we go, because one moment with God's manifest presence, how many know, can, can do more than years and years of talking and arguing and debating. One moment of his manifest presence, of the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through you, can do more in a moment than you could do in years. So God, we just pray that your manifest presence would rest on people. We thank you for our buildings, and we will raise millions of dollars for buildings that will simply keep out the elements. But let us never forget, they are nothing more than a tool to be used so the presence of God can rest in its rightful place. You desire to be on us, in us, flowing through us. You desire to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. You desire to see us use those gifts out in the community, making a difference and bringing the presence of God to its rightful place. The presence of God was never meant to just be felt in a church service. The presence of God was never meant just to be felt in our time of devotion, in our moment of praise, but it was meant to be felt and to be experienced by others. The gifts are there to manifest so that people can draw good from them and experience a slice of heaven in a world that doesn't have a clue what heaven is all about. So help us to value your presence. Help us to be delighting in your presence. Help us to get your presence to the rightful place. And Lord Jesus, help us to be carriers of your presence. We're unworthy, but it's by grace that we carry your presence. And with that, we say we will live in that grace. We will do what you've called us to do. In your name we pray, amen, amen.